Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Can I invite you, if you brought a copy of the Scriptures, open with me to the book of Hebrews and chapter 12. We're going to bring chapter 12 of Hebrews to a conclusion today. We're not quite done with the letter, but we are wrapping up chapter 12 today. And um, if you'll find your way there, we'll jump into that in just a second. By way of uh, just stuff I think about and for, forget about from times, I mentioned Catalina Uh, coming to work at King's Academy. Can I tell you, man, God has entrusted to us over 100 children. I think 105 children that are enrolled in King's Academy this year. Isn't that good of God to entrust that many souls to us to be able to minister? What you you probably don't know is that the majority of those uh, students don't come necessarily from households of Englewood. Many of them from households that... um, worship like this is a normal part of their life. In fact, some of them come from different religious backgrounds and faith systems. You say, how does that work at a Christian school? Just like it works here on Sunday morning. That's exactly how that works. And God allows us the privilege of doing that. So, hey, uh, uh, I pray that in these days, especially you'll pray for our team at King's Academy. These are important days for them as we continue to uh, minister uh, in the city that we have. And then you'll notice also inside your worship folder, there's an announcement in there. Next weekend, we're going to be up at, uh, on Sunday afternoon, we'll be up in Roanoke Rapids uh, hosting a block party for uh, the future church plant that's going to be there. So uh, we'll go out and, and uh, I think about 1,500 homes is what we've got targeted to be, to be focused on just to advertise our outreach to. And then we're going to cook some food and blow up some, not blow up stuff, that's not what I said, but blow up some bounce houses and stuff like that and just have a party out there for the neighbors. Let them know, hey, new things are coming in the area. So if you're available for that, I hope you'll come and, and be a part of that as well. If you're not available for it, I hope you'll cancel whatever you were going to do and then come be a part of that as well uh, because it's always important to be where God would open the door for us to be able to serve together as a family. He's answering our prayer. So we ought to be quick to engage with him in the way that he answers that. We're in Hebrews chapter 12. Growing up, my dad appeared to me at times to be like two different people. There was a side of dad or a part of dad or sometimes dad would take me fishing with him or take me out. He liked to play par three. We'd go to a par three golf course. My golf was no better at seven than it was at 37 than it would be today if I still played. But anyway, he, he'd take me out to the golf course with fishing golf. We'd go hang out, do things like that. Fun times, fun dad. But then there was also dad that met me every time my report cards came in and he would greet me to impress on me how important it was that I worked hard in school. And Frankly, he didn't care as much about the grades. He said, boy, even if you're not smart, you can sit still and be quiet. Little did he know. But he was a strict disciplinarian in that way. Seems like, hey, fun dad and disciplinarian dad. Well, 
both of these personas were real. And in reality, not, they were not in conflict, but in concert. They expressed the complexity of our humanity, of who we are as people. There's some days we're good cops, some days we're bad cops. Some days we're uh, the life of the party, some days we're the one closing it down. That's just part of the nature of who we are. It would have been unhelpful to take the complexity of my father and try to reduce it to some simplify or simplify it and reduce it to him to a less than a picture of both of these sides. In the same way, it's unhelpful to attempt to do that with our heavenly father. See, people see God differently, oftentimes based on their experiences or their preconceived ideas, their notions. Some see God as a strict and hard figure who makes rules and zaps people with lightning bolts who don't, uh, who don't go by the rules. Others see him in more of a grandfatherly type tone where he sits on the front porch in his rocking chair and pulls you up into his lap so he can hear how your day went while giving you a lollipop regardless of what you've ever done. And God is neither of those and both of those and much more. And we would do a disservice to God. We would diminish his glory to try to make him less than the complex person that he is. He is all of these things. He's sovereign king and intimate friend. Now that complexity never became more clear in our study than what we looked at last week where we saw the contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. One mountain was terrifying in its display where the other mountain came across welcoming and inclusive and comforting. But the standard never changed because God never changed. He was the same and he remains the same. He still is. Here's a question. How do you view God? Is your view of God based on your past or is it based on something that you're currently going through, your current predicament? Or is it grounded in the truth of the gospel? That, those questions lead us to this last warning in this text in Hebrews. We've seen earlier, the book of Hebrews, while, while, while explaining to us Jesus is better, lays out, peppers all through it, a number of different warnings to draw our attention, to, to, to straighten up, pay attention, listen up, because God's got something to say. In chapter 3, we saw a warning, don't turn away or turn back. Chapter 4, don't miss out on the promises of God. Chapter 6, don't look for redemption elsewhere because there's no repentance once you've rejected Jesus as the source of it. Chapter 10, we saw a warning. Stand firm on the hope of, that's in Jesus because to do otherwise in our rejection of Him is to forsake our only hope. And now in chapter 12, this final warning calls us to live holy lives and live abandoned to Jesus and it sets the stage for the final chapter next week and and the following weeks Lord willing where he'll talk about the application of that faith and how it how it's lived out where the rubber meets the road in a couple of places how our faith influences how we live in the world but make no mistakes this this is a warning passage and it's heavy in places and I've done my best, you probably have never done this, but I've done my best to argue God out of this message. 
But thus says the Lord. We're in Hebrews 12. We're going to begin in verse 25. Can I invite you, if you're able, stand with me in honor of the Word of God. And if you're joining us from some other place, we're grateful for your presence here. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. I hope you'll follow along with us. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 25. The Bible says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less... We escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only this earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore... Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Would you pray with me? God, even in these moments, would you help us not only to see and understand, but God, to yield to you. You are good, and everything from you is good Your word given and preserved is good for us. So help us to see it that way, hear clearly from you, and then, Lord, to respond in a way that brings glory to your name. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You be seated. Thank you for standing. If you'd like to follow along, there's an outline available for you uh, that you can get. You can get it there at the the little code that's down by your feet if you're in the room. Kind of take you to the dashboard. You can get that sermon outline or... Or the, the information put on the screen about how you could text in and get the notes. I want to show you three instructive truths in this warning about gratitude and unshakable hope. Now, they're instructive truths, meaning they're not just offered as something that's true. Like, oh, well, that's true. But rather, they're truths with the intention that you and I, taking them seriously, would do something with them. Three instructive truths in this warning. Notice, first of all, the charge... The command, the imperative, the charge to receive. The charge to receive. There's something to receive and and God has charged us to receive it. Look at verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. Now this verse leads out with a very strong imperative, a strong command. And for those of you who like grammar, it's in the second person plural. Here's what he says. Y'all see to it. All of y'all see to it. You guys see to it. Now that's three words in English, but it's one word in the in the original language, and it it points to the idea. It literally means to observe or take notice. It carries with it the sense, be vigilant or be on guard. Y'all, be on guard that you do not refuse Him. That word refuse translates to to reject or to decline or to avoid. Y'all, be on guard. Y'all, be vigilant. Y'all, see to it. That you do not reject Him. Him, a person. Not a set of propositional doctrines. Not a set of 
uh, of empty beliefs, not a set of ideals, but a person who's revealed all of these things to you and I. Y'all see to it that you do not reject or avoid or decline Him. I don't know about you, but we've just come through a pretty great spot in Hebrews 12. Why this strong command? Because what he's talking about is serious. It's not trite. It's not minimal. It's not light. It's serious and significant. It requires an approach of sobriety. See, the writers press in a point that the old things, the old things that were once uh, important to you that caught your attention, those old things have passed away and the new alone must be solely embraced. Old and new cannot coexist. We see that all throughout Hebrews. He says, don't worship angels. Don't, don't elevate Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than angels. Don't hold on to the old covenant. The new covenant's better. Old and new cannot coexist. And here he tells us, as he's pointed all this time, that Jesus is exclusive. He's the exclusive way to right standing with God. There is no other salvation and no other way to be right with God that's the that's the message of the gospel it's the very heartbeat of the gospel now listen if you grew up in the if you grew up in these parts you may have only ever heard that I mean to you it may just be second nature of course Jesus the only way of course he is throwing us into a a dangerous position of either thinking, well, everybody else must think that too, or treating it so lightly that we, we dull the edge on the blade and it no longer has the power, the cut, the edge that God placed on it. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name, no other savior, no other way. All others are dependent on Jesus. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 says, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every, 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 every knee will bow. Of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Did you see the exclusivity in that? There's no other way. Now, think about that for a moment because this exclusivity demands that we don't try to lay anything else alongside it. It also demands that we don't, that, that we not refuse even the smallest part of it. The demands of exclusivity if we could be honest, kind of bother us a little bit. In our culture, tolerance and diversity is valued oftentimes more highly in social circles than even truth. It's more about how to be nice 
than how to declare what's right. And hey, listen, there's something to be said for being nice. But being nice is not a substitute for being truthful. There must be. You can't sit back and say, Jesus is, he's the only way for me. Well, that's true, but you know what you just said. You implied there may be another way for someone else. See, as we've come to value tolerance over truthfulness, we've come to move the definition to where it's culturally synonymous with acceptance. To tolerate is to elevate other to a place of equal. It demands that every claim be as authoritative as our convictions. When related to God, it, it takes on a form like this. All, religious, all religions worship the same God. He just reveals himself differently. I mean, to Christians, sure, it's Jesus. But to, to, to the Sunni Islam uh, Muslims that we, that, we, that we prayed for earlier, he just revealed himself differently to them. It's the same God. That's a lie not true the god of buddhism is not the god of the bible the god of hindu the gods of hinduism are not the god of the bible the god of secular humanism is not the god of the bible the god of native americans in animism is not the god of the bible there is but one god and his son jesus is the only way to be made right with him there is no other way Oh man, you want to hush a room, say something like that. But we're told that, man, maybe you should just be more open-minded about things. You know, we have, a, we have an old preacher that's kind of common to both of us who might at that point cite something like, you can become so open-minded that your brains fall out. Hello? Hello? It's to elevate something else's equal. That's true about, as it relates to God in that way, but when it's related to moral conduct, we might hear someone say, well, who are you to say that that's wrong for me to do? I, I mean, it ought to be okay for me to choose whether I want to do this or that. I mean, I interpret morality differently than you, and that's okay. That's okay. What does that mean? Because listen, friend, true tolerance displays kindness toward others, but faithfulness in belief and action toward the truth. If we're really tolerant, then we can be kind toward someone else without yielding or compromising faithfulness to the truth. There's no place for a believer ever to be unkind, even on social media. But there's also no place to compromise on God and His revealed Word. There's no place for it. We cannot ever do that. So, listen, while the social idea of tolerance seems polite or progressive, according to the Scriptures, it's tantamount to refusing God as He is, as He's revealed, as He's instructed. It's the same thing as saying, I re reject that Jesus. I reject that Word. I reject that message. I reject the one who said it. That's the point of the warning. Be diligent not to refuse, to reject, to avoid Him. 
then he gives the argument. And you've got to follow the argument to catch it there. He says, he's, he compares the Mount Sinai, the, the rumblings at Sinai with, with what's coming in judgment. Now you've got, to, you've got to go back in the Sinai story to catch it. Mount Sinai, in the backdrop of the Sinai experience, is, uh, it's the idolatry of Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the covenant from God who delivered his people from four centuries of oppression and to bring it down. And he's been gone so long, about week six, they're like, brother's not coming back. We need a God. We can't just worship nothing. Aaron, give us a God. He's like, well, all right, give me your earrings. And he took and he fashioned for them a, an object, a created being in conflict to the very word of God. And, and then he presented to them, say, this is your God. And they worshiped it. And because of that, they forsook, they lost out on, they missed the promise of God. That's the backdrop. When he says, with that in the background, and, and those who tested God's center stage is those who missed it. He says, if those who refused the message on earth did not escape judgment, how much less will we escape if we refuse the message from heaven? If, if those who, who missed out on the promise like that, if they missed it, how much more those of us who know the name of Jesus, who have the full revelation, who have been told, who've been shown, who've been empowered, how much less would we be acceptable to God, knowing all that we know? Oh, it's a heavy word. Two cautions about this, though. The war to fight is a war within us. It's in our heart. There's a battle, but it's a battle for, the, for our faithfulness, our fidelity to Jesus. We must not turn others into opponents. The lost, whether they're faithful adherents or passive, apathetic passerized, though they may even claim to believe in nothing, they're not the enemy of the mission. The Bible says they are the mission. Chris, I'm telling you, those people fill in the blank. They're our enemies. They don't believe like we do. Oh, friends, you've misunderstood the gospel. They're not our enemies. Their story's not equal, but they're not our enemies. They're not our opponents. We have an enemy. It's not them. They're the object of our focus. They're the centerpiece of the bullseye of our efforts. They're the they're the substance and subject of our prayers. Jesus said, think of it this way. Luke 19 and verse 10, he said, The Son of Man did not, he came to seek and to save that which was lost, not to seek and destroy that which was lost. But if, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll miss that. We'll quit seeing to it. And we'll miss it. First, we must not confuse others with opponents. Secondly, we cannot elevate others to equals in the faith. While we say, well, Chris, I, I hear you, man, but I'd never do that. 
in another place where I served once. This, uh, I had a small group leader, a lady. She had been teaching for decades in the church. And then uh, I noticed one day that she just, she kind of just drifted back. And we got to sit down and talk over a period of months. We just had that kind of a relationship. And I said, what, what was it? What was it that caused you to walk back from this faith that you've carried around for so many years? I mean, she's nearly my age now at that time. She said, well, it kind of started when I was teaching comparative religions in my Sunday school class. And I started teaching about these other religious beliefs and then I had some friends who thought that way and I, I guess I just came to believe that maybe the things I held closely weren't as significant anymore. That's a lie and a tragedy. Oh friend, you got to be careful when you allow that to come so close to you. We're not afraid of others but we don't elevate it to equal. You say well that had never happened to me. I don't teach Connect Group around Inglewood. <laughs> yeah, but then you get a coworker who believes something differently and you really like them or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you marry someone who believes different. If you don't think that could happen, ask Solomon. You see it with parents at times. To my heartbreak, parents with a solid moral ethic on things that are so basic they're not complicated boys are boys and are made to like girls girls are girls and are made to like boys that's not confusing mom dad I, I just need to let you know I think God miswired something I'm in the shell of a boy but I'm a girl I'm in the shell of a girl but I'm a boy I'm a nothing in the middle of everything. And I'm still trying to discover myself. I'm everything and in the middle of nothing. And parents that go, oh, I love my child so much, Chris. What am I supposed to do? And instead of loving the child and being faithful to truth, they find themselves yielding on that and going, maybe God, maybe God didn't tell us the truth in his book. Maybe, in fact... Sexuality and gender can transition from place to place. Maybe, in fact, homosexuality is, uh, is okay. It's not okay. Lying's not okay. It's not okay. God's not changed his mind. You say, well, that would never happen to me. You, you don't understand a mother's heart, I think. Because the draw on that is real and pulls. And the writer of Hebrews says, see to it. That you stand against that. See to it. That you don't compromise. And then forfeit the only hope for others. And your own hope as well. See to it. That you don't refuse Jesus. The charge to receive. Secondly. The consequence of refusal. Verse 25. We saw the term refusal. Mentioned twice. It means to reject. Most people I know. While sometimes apathetic toward Jesus. Wouldn't characterize their position as refusal. They'd just say, I, I don't care. It's not that big a deal to me. It's not that important to me. It's, uh, I don't, it's, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. It's just not, not that big a deal. Or, or I really hadn't thought about it much. Most aren't atheistic. They would 
fit more in the place of a practical agnostic. Some of them carry Bibles and go to churches on Sunday. For them, there's a middle ground. But God doesn't have a middle ground. He's black and white. And he says to refuse is to reject. And the consequences of that, verses 26, 27, and his voice shook the earth then, but now he's promised saying yet more, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. In verse 29 is nature, for our God is a consuming fire. The thrust of these verses is the reality of judgment. In verses 18 to 21 that we looked at last week, we saw God's presence on Sinai, that it so terrified the people that they, they feared to even go near. Just God's presence, God descends on top of the mountain. There's, now there's, it's a big show. There's fire, there's smoke, the ground is quaking. There's loud noise coming from there. Even Moses, the representative of the people, was full of trembling and fear in the presence of God. How much more then should one fear God's judgment than his mere presence. That's the thrust of the warning here. If if shaking Sinai prompted fear, how much more when he shakes both heaven and earth? It's a terrifying picture, terrifying. John in in the apocalypse, in 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 the revelation, in his vision that God gave him of the things to come. At the end, Revelation 20, listen to how he describes it beginning in verse 11. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, the gravity of that It's so huge. It says that this place that was never created with humanity in mind, this place of eternal, I'm sorry, I don't know a better word for it, this place of eternal damnation created for the devil, the enemy of God, and all the angels that followed after him, this place created for them as a place of torment and destruction. He said it'll become the eternity For those who reject or resist, who turn back from, who refuse Jesus. Those who, when judged, they they were depending on their deeds. And yet the, the key to admission into heaven was not their deeds, but their name in the book of life. There's a day coming when all accounts will be reconciled. And there'll be no excuse in that day. 
Can you imagine standing before the one who offered himself as substitute and savior and claiming that you, you didn't realize or didn't know? Well, I know you came to make known, but I didn't really get it. Oh, that kind of a response would fall, fall on deaf ears because you're talking to the one who made it known and sees through all the facade. Could you imagine making the argument, well, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. That you, could you imagine making the argument, well, I know you said, but man, that's a lot. That's, I didn't agree with the gravity of that sin or rebellion against you. Or maybe even more, the conversation in your own heart. You heard, but you waited. You knew, but you compromised. You understood, but you rolled the dice. Oh, friend, the, the point's sobering. There's an accounting for everyone. Obedience, submission in everything. Those, those who, who yielded and were obedient, submitted to Christ in everything, no holds barred, will be saved. Rejection, refusal, even resistance. Judgment and eternal damnation. Never to know the presence or the peace or the power of God to save. And if you're a believer, that's humbling and heartbreaking. Because I imagine in your mind your thoughts would be, but there's so many I knew that aren't here. Was I too passive? Was I complacent? Was I soft on these things? Was I naive about the people around me? Who missed it? Because I didn't speak. Who's in your circle that you've not seen reconciled? That you've not told how and begged them and pleaded with them and cried over them and prayed for them to be saved and to turn to God. Who? The point's not to terrorize, it's not to trip us up, but to turn our hearts to a sober posture before Him. We must obey and never turn back in everything he said in everything he says everything he says because to resist in something is to reject the one who demanded it and rightly deserves it the charge to receive the consequences of refusal and number three the commended response the commended response the one that's given to us and said this is the response God desires this is the one that God's designed this is the one that is the right response verse 28 therefore since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken let's show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and all 
You notice the focus shifts now to, to, those, to those who know, to those who believe, to those who see to it that they do not refuse them, to those who sit there and say, ah, that's uncomfortable for me, but God said it, so I'm going to do it, to those. And he says, they've received a kingdom. Notice the abundant grace there. To receive something is not to earn it, it's not to merit it, it's not for it to come, it's not to deserve it or even seek after it, it's to have it given to you, transferred to you, it's to receive. And you and I, the scripture says, receive an unshakable kingdom, that's the language of certainty. It's not earned, it's received by grace and therefore it's sustained by grace. And our response to that grace, the scripture says, is gratitude. Not a sense of indebtedness, but gratitude. Let's show gratitude by which we may offer acceptable service, he says, with the goal of demonstrating reverence and awe to worship. Now, to treat it as anything less than that or differently than that diminishes who God is. To, for instance, to work toward what God gives us denies His grace. It says, I know he gives, but I feel like I need to do something to get. You've diminished the glory that belongs to him by making yourself part of your own salvation. To not serve him. To just turn away from it. It denies gratitude. It says, thanks for salvation, I'll keep it. It's like the ten lepers whom Jesus healed. Yet only one would turn back and say thank you. The other nine kept going thinking of themselves. To not serve denies gratitude. To serve him for reasons other than reverence and awe is to deny worship. Hey, there's there's no better picture that illustrates what I'm talking about than what we're going to observe this afternoon. See, there'll be people baptized this afternoon. Baptized not to be saved. As if their actions somehow would prompt God to to finally take notice of them and save them. That would steal steal worship from God. Now I know there are some Christian, there are some churches that claim a Christian tradition who say the way that you're saved is through the regeneration, the being made new that comes in your baptism. Friend, that's a lie. And the very presence of that steals from God's graciousness toward us and giving us everything we need without it. It makes you a co-redeemer with Him. That's a lie. There's nobody being baptized today that are doing it so that God will save them. But rather in response to His saving. And to the point that they're demonstrating Worship, reverence and awe before God. Could you imagine trying to change the meaning to a work that causes salvation? Or to withhold that act of obedience to the one who lived in perfect obedience in order to save. Hey, I know you can imagine that. I know people right now who call Englewood home, who've never been baptized. They've gotten wet, maybe somewhere, sometime, but their salvation came on the other side of it. 
and they've been living it. Here's, here's, here's the story that goes in their head. <laughs> it's not that important. I, I'm good. I mean, I've, it's just an order. I mean, maybe I was already saved then. Maybe this one didn't count. Well, which one did you know you saved? This one. But they, they've not done it. It's an act of obedience. It's the first act of obedience, but they've not yet taken that step. Why? Well, Chris, you don't know what it costs to get my hair done. I know what it costs to make it able for you to do your hair. Jesus paid it all. Chris, are you, you're just a meanie. I, I feel like it. But I'd rather be, I'd rather you think I'm a meanie and you think soberly and turn around than for you to go on believing a lie that you can ignore God with your eyes wide open and with dirty hands and an impure heart stand before him one day and him say, I've been waiting on you, come on in. Because that's not how it works. Some, for you it might not even be bad. Here's what it is. Here's what it might be for you. Somebody's done you wrong. They've damaged you. They've harmed you. And you refuse to forgive them. You said, I know Jesus said I'm supposed to forgive. But I'm going to tell you what, that's a bridge too far. God bless it. He'll just have to, he'll just have to, I'll just take it up with him when I get there. Are you serious? You want to stand before the one who stood in your place? Say, I know you took my cross, but I, I wasn't going to talk to that person that I didn't like. What kind of a, excuse me, in the internet age you get quoted a lot, so hold on. What kind of a perverse idea of faithfulness would have us realign what God said and claim that he didn't say it or he didn't mean what he said so we could feel better about ourselves? You say, well, Chris, that doesn't really happen. You're just making a big point of that because, you know, you're a preacher and all. I hear you, but Jesus actually spoke differently about it. Last scripture, I'm done. Comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. And cast out demons in your name. And performed many miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. See to it that you don't reject or resist. Or turn back or trample under. Or turn away from. See to it. And you may be listening and you'd say, Chris, that's already happened for me. And I don't know if I could ever get back. Well, friend, God didn't call you to be the, the smart person who did or didn't know. He just revealed that to you. Here's what he said in 1 John 1 in verse 8. Two Christians, if we say we don't sin, we lie and the truth's not in us. But verse 9, if we confess our sin. God's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, God, I'm, 
Boy, I've done that wrong. Some of you today, today, you need to do that. You need to, you need to be baptized today because that one thing has been hanging out there forever. And you keep arguing about it. You keep negotiating with it. And the bottom line on it is you, you, you enjoy something more than identifying that Jesus saved my wretched life the way he said to do it. And you need to repent of that today and turn it over. Some of you have got something God would have you to do in a relationship or in some other area of your life. And you ought to, you ought to, in just a moment, you ought to say to him, God, if you'll give me breath and an hour after this service is over, whenever he stops talking, I'm going to make that right. I'm calling that person. I'm speaking to that person. I'm going to that person. I'm going to ask. Forgive me. I'm going to go to my neighbor who I've assumed, who I've hoped, who I've imagined is probably good. And I'm just going to tell him, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have told you a long time ago. Jesus paid it all. You need to make that commitment. You may be listening. You're not even a Christ follower. Hey, friend, I, I don't mean that in an ugly, I'm not pejorative about that. I'm just, you've not yet crossed the line to step over and be his. That's not happened for you yet. Maybe you're thinking, how can God let somebody say they're his and blow it and get re- forgiven like that? Like you just described, Chris, if, what kind of God would do that? The kind who left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life and died in your place so that you could know that forgiveness forever and today if you'd quit relying on yourself and you'd trust him you could know that too but it's time to stop excuse me it's time to stop monkeying around with this thing it's time to stop putting it off it's time to stop all of that you know what he's called you to do and you need to do that today today See to it that you not refuse him. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com slash next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.